Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Welcome everyone to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast. I have my brother here, Orlando Maldonado, and I am so excited to welcome you to the Tuesdays with Andrea podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. I am equivocally excited. Equivocally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy that you're here. It's good to see you again in person. You are the first person I've had in the studio since Corona. Yes. And so it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's exciting, though. It's exciting. Tell us what's been going on in your life. There's a lot of people who know us who don't know that we're brother and sister. Correct. Yeah. Because we really we see each other like one holiday, two holidays a year. Yeah. You know, and then at my mom's house randomly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, So why don't we start a bit of a blended family? Yeah. We have a crazy blended family. Have you ever thought about that? We do. But I think it's. Just as much as it is crazy, it's also beautiful, I think. Beautiful. Yeah. So why don't we start with how we're related, how we're, are we really not related? Well, no. We're step-siblings. Ex-step-siblings, yes. Okay. (laughs) Everyone's like, what? Okay, so my mom was married to... To my father, correct. To his dad, Andy Maldonado, great Mm -hmm. man, and he's since passed away. What age were you when we first became brother and sister? I... I think I was like... Third grade, second grade, I was so. So then I was. So it's about I honestly seven. I can't remember. Little. Yeah. 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 Six, seven. Sounds what do about you right. remember about our childhood? <laughs> oh, so many, so many things. I think when I look back to my childhood, I think I had the best of both worlds in terms of siblingry. So mm-hmm. with my mother, I was the eldest of all of, of her children. So I had my younger siblings that I got to nurture and take care of. I was a big brother. I was their voice when they needed it, and I protected them when they needed it. And, you know, as a brother, I teased them when they needed it. But then at the same time, for a part of my childhood, I was living with my dad and your mom, and we grew up together. I had two older sisters. (laughs) Which was? (laughs) Which was amazing. You guys were very protective and very supportive of me, and you accepted me and loved me from the get-go. And... The only scary part of it was when, you know, you guys would make me choose a side when you and your sister would disagree. That was the only scary part. But at the end of the day, I was just effortless. I just couldn't wait to see my stepmom again and hang out with my sisters and my dad. And it was just another part of my life that I looked forward to. Yeah. And also just as much with your mom, you know, she's become, even to this day, I consider her another mom. Yeah. You know, and I love that both my biological mom and her get along. And it's just another big, beautiful branch of my support system yeah. and my family like you know and the fact that we're step siblings doesn't really matter I still love and care for you just as much as if you were my biological sibling yeah so. and we still call each other we're brother and sister yeah absolutely um, but he lives his own life now now he has <laughs> grown up and you have your own profession your own career your own community your own life outside of our bubble of how we grew up yeah and so let's talk about that you're a nurse now Yes, I am an interventional cardiology nurse. I work at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. I've been a nurse for nine, going on 10 years now. Almost all of my whole nursing career has been very specialized in cardiology. I wanted to really, really perfect that knowledge base and that skill set. And cardiology is the study of the heart. So yes, so yeah, actually cardiovascular work is what I do with physicians. So I do procedural work right now. I'm part of the team that stops heart attacks. That's literally what we do. So if someone you know or love, unfortunately, were to have a heart attack and it's identified in the hospital, they call in the team. They call in the cardiologists, they call in the nurses, the the radiation technologists. We perfect our craft. And in our line of work, we go by the mantra of time is muscle. So our goal is to, once we identify a heart attack, to stop it within 90 minutes. It's go, 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 What do you mean time is muscle, though? Time is muscle. So in a nutshell, to describe what a heart attack is, you have three main arteries that are supporting blood to your own heart. So in order for your heart to pump blood 
throughout your whole body, there is a blockage within those arteries that are supplying blood to your heart. Mm -hmm. And if there is a decrease of blood flow to that heart muscle, it starts to die. And that's essentially a heart attack. It's dying heart muscle. Mm -hmm. And if your heart muscle can't pump, unfortunately, the ultimate result is death. And so our goal is to identify it and open it as quickly as we can. So that has kind of created a very interesting specialty that I have become completely addicted to. So I deal with actively dying patients, also patients who are coming in for routine checkups who are getting clearance for other type of, you know, sometimes organ transplants that they're on the list for. I get deal with patients who are dealing with heart failure and we're coming to see how degraded they are in that progression of that disease process. I also have experience taking care of patients who need pacemakers and who have real bad heart rhythms that need taken care of. I also work with, now currently with babies um, who have congenital defects who are born that way with maybe holes in their heart or, you know, malformation or anything that didn't grow correctly while they're in utero. Uh, the works. We do um, aneurysm repairs, valve replacements. So it's just a very exciting work. Did you choose cardiology because that was the field within nursing you were really passionate about? What made you go into that? I think it was a couple of factors. In nursing school, and even now, if you were to go to cdc.com uh, and look at the number one causes of death here in the United States, cancer and cardiovascular disease have been on the top of that list for years. So there's a high demand for it. But also in nursing school, I would say, I hmm, can't remember the exact class or how far along I was, but I would say probably a year before I started taking my nursing boards is when my father passed away of a heart attack. It was a heart attack that was induced by a drug overdose. However, it was just part of my grief and the shock that was with everything, I used nursing. I used my, the remainder of my nursing education as kind of a crutch. It was, I was trying to intellectualize really? everything with my grieving. There were so many unanswered questions. My father was in Tennessee at the time. I didn't speak to him or see him. And it was just a phone call, a random phone call that I picked up and it just shook everything in my life. And there was just this weird state of shock that left so many questions. Were you guys in any type of relationship for prior to that happening? Did you know the state and condition that he was in at that time? Me and my father had always had a bit of a rocky relationship. Our communication kind of ebbed and flowed. At that time, uh, when he knew I was in nursing school, he made little hints here and there. He, I don't think he realized how bad his cardiovascular disease was, but I remember one conversation where he mentioned, yeah, the doctor has said I have something to do with high cholesterol, and I guess yeah. my blood pressure might be high, but I don't want to take any medications type of a deal, yeah. uh, which, again, are, are, are precursors for that. But other than that, no, there was nothing. It was just all of a sudden. It yeah. was a life-shattering just snap. But Was he proud that you were in nursing school? Because by that time, him and my mom had been long divorced. Correct. And so we, I didn't have any update on him. Mm-hmm. But was he proud of you? Did you feel like you had some closure in that way with, when he passed? I'd like to think so. I, he never verbalized that to me, but I'd like to think so. Yeah. I remember he loved you. Like, yeah. I would get jealous. Because my really? dad was, yeah, because my dad wasn't there. It was me and my sister, and you were like the the golden child. You were his <laughs> child, you know? Yeah. And he loved us. He was a great yeah. stepfather to us while, while they were married. But he loved you. And I just remember yearning for that type of fatherly love. And it was a different type of love. And, you know, we were also girls, and we were also yeah. growing. So I think he felt a little bit more, and he was a stepfather, so you just kind of keep a little bit more distance there. Right. And I just remember like, oh, he loves Lando. Always. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I do have amazing memories. Like on Saturday mornings, my dad would wake me up just to eat a bowl of cereal and watch Saturday morning cartoons with. Yeah. I think my father just liked to argue with me because he loved Batman and Superman and I was a bigger fan of X-Men. And I was like, (laughs) no, they're better. And, you know, I remember those little kid-like arguments that he would have with me. But yeah, I'd like to think that he was proud of me. I remember one time I came home with, like, with a D on one of my progress reports or like Uh-oh. or like an unsatisfactory or whatever it was. It was just real bad. And it was when I was changing schools and I was a little bit behind and I had to play catch up. But he was just really upset with me. There was just very few occasions where my dad like yelled at me or whipped my, whipped my butt. Yeah, whooped your ass. You know, <laughs> That's what he, you're going to say. <laughs> he, yeah, he whipped my ass. 
<laughs> there was one time where I deserved it. He wet the belt and everything, and it was like, okay, I guess my dad he really wet is. the belt. He, he wet the belt. I and cannot like picture him whooping you because he never. It's because I spray painted someone's house. It was dumb. Me, what me, were you doing? What age me, was this? Me, I was a young, <laughs> dumb little child, and we were thinking we were cool and being these rebels. And yeah, obviously we got caught. And he's like, "What were you doing?" And I was like, "Please don't hit me." And he just whipped me. And I'm like, in retrospect, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm glad I got my my ass whipped. I, I deserve that." Didn't do um, that again. Yeah, but um, there there were very few occasions. But he was really upset when I came home with with an unsatisfactory in my progress report, and he, he yelled at me, and it was. Probably one of the first times where it, it, it like really shook me, and I'm just like, oh my god, I cannot believe my dad is mad at me, and I just had that yeah. that first tugging, horrible wrench. Disappointing position. Like, your parent. Oh my god, he's so mad at me. I do not like this at all. And he, I, he kept calling me to come to dinner, and I just was not coming. Your mom tried talking to me, and she's just like, you know, your dad's mad. I was like, he hates me. He hates <laughs> me. I'm so stupid, and blah blah blah. And I just remember him pulling me aside. And saying, he's like, I'm sorry I yelled at you. He goes, but I'm going to keep pushing you. And he just, he showed me his hands. He, he worked in factories. He worked with his hands and they were very rough and callous. He said, you know, I work very hard with my hands. I want you to be able to sustain yourself when you get older, but I don't want you working with your hands. In this entire factory that I work in, there are only a handful of men that walk in and out of it with a suit and tie and they work with their minds. He goes, whatever you do, I want you to really push your education and find a career where you're not doing what I'm doing. And that's just a memory that's burned in the back of my mind. And it resonates with me so much today that kind of pushes me forward. So if he were to see what I do today, I'd like to think that he he would be proud of that. Yeah, he would yeah. be. I, I believe that. Okay, so then you chose nursing. Why did you choose nursing out of all of the careers out there? What made you choose <clears throat> that? You know, when you're a teenager, you're dealing with that dreaded question. Yeah, what do you what want to do? What in the world am I going to do? I was fortunate enough with my extracurricular activities. I was part of a step team. And one of my teachers and mentors at the time, she, she just honestly felt that I would have had the knack for nursing. And she vouched for me and she pointed me in the direction for a potential scholarship. And I applied for the scholarship. And I pulled on, especially in the essay writing, it was multiple essay questions. A lot of it had to do with me just pulling on my own childhood. So, especially my mother's side of the family, unfortunately, there has been a lot of illnesses. You know, so growing up, I was exposed to, you know, neurodebilitating disease like Guillain-Barre, Lou Gehrig's disease. I've grown up around schizophrenia. I've grown up around um, nasty, insidious cancers. And I noticed how those illnesses within those relatives shifted everything with, within my whole family. And it really locked in what the doctors and nurses were doing and how much of their voice helped my family really carry things forward. So as a child, it just really stuck with me. And I guess my storyline and my motive was what they wanted to hear. And I was able to receive that scholarship and it jump-started me into my education. And the teacher at the time, Ms. Martin, uh, thank you. She was correct. I just am thriving in it. I love what I do, you know, with a passion. I'll, I'll, everyone, that, that's what they that's what they say about me. They're just like... Yeah, because you know, you're so passionate about your field. Yeah. You love I, it. See, sometimes you got to tell me when to shut up. I can't stop talking No, about this it, is why I know? wanted you on, so you can tell us about it, because <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in the nursing profession. I'm interested yeah. in how nurses continue to do that work, especially yeah. now with COVID-19, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic, and this is a time when you're scared to go to work. A lot yes. of people are are scared, rightly so, mm -hmm. and there's a crisis and an emergency is when we need nurses, Yeah, and there's a danger, there's a risk, and yet here you are, like, yeah. you know, loving what you do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's scary for everyone. Doctors and nurses, we're, we're human too. We, we don't allow ourselves to feel those human emotions as we go through the work. Yeah, because you kind of have to be detached, I, I would Correct. imagine, right? Yeah, absolutely. COVID-19 has kind of really shifted the perspective that I'm looking at my profession as a whole. It's kind of helped evolve my nursing philosophy a lot very recently. Which is what? In the beginning, it was really just me wanting to perfect my craft. You know, I was wanting to get into cardiac nursing. I wanted to build my, my knowledge and my skill set. I wanted to become board certified in my specialty, which I now am. And I had those goals. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. 
And th- those were the goals. I wanted to quickly you know, climb that clinical ladder. I didn't want to be that novice nurse. I wanted to be that advanced autonomous nurse. And I was able to get into my specialty that I am t- t- today. At my current hospital, there's over hundreds of nurses, and there's only eight nurses in my department. Not very many nurses get to do what I do. So that's one thing that I'm very fortunate for. I work right alongside interventional cardiologists who are literally threading wires and catheters inside arteries and stopping heart attacks. We're clipping and repairing valves. It's just extremely exciting work. Sounds bad to say, but unfortunately, death is is part of reality. You know, yeah. our bodies, our youth is youth is fleeting. Our health and our vitality is always fleeting. And time, when 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 the time comes, someone needs to rise to the occasion and and get that done. And that, that is, is still, you. Yeah. I, I just, I'm a little, a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. Does that feeling come when you're at that level of, this is the end, this is the make it or break it, this is time to yes. shine here? Oh, all the time, especially during certain um, heart attacks, because they can happen at any time. So there's also a call. So there are times where I can get paged at three in the morning and me and the rest of the call team have to just rush into work and you're doing everything that you possibly can. There are times where I've seen patients just slowly spiraling down and once we get the job done and we stabilize them, their face just flushes pink again and they're literally laying there on the table and they're just saying, oh my God, the chest pain is gone. Oh my God, I feel so much better now. And it's just the level of gratification. (laughs) I mean, how many people do you get to meet that just say, what did you do last night? Oh, I just stopped a heart attack. What did you do? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's extremely thrilling. Very, very, very gratifying. But that still has to be done even in times of fear like now with COVID-19. I remember just going through the daily... I remember the very first time I went for a, a very uh, critical case with a patient um, at the peak of everything with COVID-19. And we were being very critical with all the numbers in Chicago and trying to do our very best to make sure it didn't get as bad as it did in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I just was kind of upset and angry with myself. I was focusing on everything that I needed to do, taking care of the patient, but then I was so petrified about my mask. Is it on all the way? Are there any leaks here? At the time, do we know if this is droplet versus airborne? All the data and all the information that was coming out at the time, we were still trying to piece together as medical workers. And it's a novel virus. It's something that has not been seen before. And yeah, you know, there's no that, information. Yeah, and when I first heard about it, you know, me and my coworkers were just we learned about it in school. We learned about historical pandemics, but you never really prepare yourself to be in one. And when you do, it's a whole different ballpark. We're worried about the amount of personal protective equipment. How can we do our jobs to save these lives, to provide the medical care for all these people, if we aren't being able to protect ourselves? You know, there's a very big difference between taking precautionary measures and then just blatantly going in at full-blown hazard at yourself. It's not going to help the overall society that's dealing with this pandemic if a large percentage of the medical community is taking a hit itself. So it was a very scary balance, and we were going through lots of, of meetings, reviewing the amount of equipment that we had, but I think I was very fortunate enough to be part of an institution that handled it very, very, very well. Part of uh, what I had to do at the peak of it was working in a triaging center, so a call center. And I think that was the thing that stuck out to me, and that's what's currently shifted my current nursing philosophy. It's really amplifying the connection with where I stand as a medical provider and where this patient is, not only with their ailment, but where they are with the emotional condition of it all. And there was just so much fear. Phone call after phone call after phone call. People just calling, I'm scared, I'm feeling this, what do I do? There were people who needed to come into the hospital and they were afraid to, they didn't want to listen to me. And then there were those who were trying to come in because they were so petrified and they wanted the protection to kept them to say, no, you know, it's not the greatest place for you. It was just this, this balance. A lot of them were also just wanting to seek information. Yeah. What is the right What's thing to do? On? And I think that's also a big societal issue, unfortunately. Which is what? It's information. It's data. The veracity of it. The truth of it all. You know, especially when it comes to medical information. With social media, which I think has a lot of benefits, unfortunately, there are people who are reading blogs as medical fact. You know, there could be someone who's writing something in, in their mom's basement about, you know, these sure. essential oils that are going to cure X, Y, and Z. And So you're telling me all essential oils don't work? <laughs> not, not when it comes to coronavirus, you know, not, not when it comes to cancer, yeah. certain things, you know. In, in medicine, in nursing, we follow 
you know, evidence-based practices. We follow the data and the research. And there's a scientific methodology that's followed. And there's a process that we use that safeguards what information that we use and the medicine and the medical care that we provide mm-hmm. for patients. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know what sources to follow and what to use, which is perfectly fine. They come to medical providers for that care. But there's a lot of confusion. Yeah. I've had people like, well, ABC News says this and Fox said this and I heard so-and-so say this and I read this online. And WebMD. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, I understand your confusion. Yeah, I, I get it. But, but this is what we need to do at this time. And then there were those who wanted all the answers, who wanted a quick fix. And especially at that peak, I know this is scary, but we all need to hunker down. We can get through this together, but the medical community right now needs your support in staying home while we try to figure this out. This is something brand new. There are a lot of questions that we have to clarify. We can't just give you a suitified answer. We have to really know the facts before we give you guys the information that you need to safely take care of your own health and your own families. Mm. And it was scary. It was very, very scary. Yeah. And even now that we're slowly getting back to more of a normalcy at work, it's just kind of consumed my mind. So my philosophy has really shifted today. Now it's really getting down to the component of, let's say this is my patient who's her fifth year in her heart failure, and she has questions, and I'll sit down, and I'll speak with him or her and make sure that they understand it. And now I find myself asking, okay, so from what I'm hearing, you're in this stage with your illness. How does that make you feel? How are you feeling emotionally with this? When I ask patients that, do they draw a blank sometimes? They, so they draw a blank. It's like, well, what do you Why mean? are you asking me what I feel? What, what do you mean? Yeah. You know? And I actually had one woman very recently who was just like on the brink of tears. And she's like, this has been very, very hard. I still have kids who are in their 30s and they're having babies and I want to be there and I want to be this awesome grandma, but my heart is failing on me. I'm kind of upset. Is it okay for me to be mad? I'm like, yeah. yeah. You're mad that your heart is failing you. Your body is betraying you. And she's like, yeah, my body is betraying me. That's exactly how I feel. And she was dealing with this for years. And unfortunately, I was the very first person to have that specific type of conversation with her. And that, I think, comes in with holistic medicine. It's not only getting the diagnosis, it's navigating through it. Now, is this something that you guys practice as a whole within your group? Or is this just your personal extension of your work and how you choose to practice it the holistic and the emotional part of it because i i don't know if all nurses want to go there with their patients correct yeah it's not part of our education it's not even part of uh, physicians education for me personally i've just been consumed with emotional intelligence and empathy there is a project that i'm part of at work but as the profession as a whole it's not So for me, this is a personal endeavor, and I'm kind of using it to tweak my own nursing craft with my patients. What's the response? So she had a great response, it sounded like. Yeah, she did. I've even had, you know, some very negative responses. You know, when patients come in, especially now, during COVID-19, there's a lot of precautions that are made. We have everyone mandatorily wear masks and we're checking their temperatures. And if they're going to be getting any kind of invasive procedure, we want to rule out to make sure that they're not even asymptomatically having COVID-19. And I had one individual who, justifiably so, you know, he was upset. And he's like, I can't believe you guys are testing me for COVID-19. I've been following everything on the news. I've been at home in quarantine. I haven't been going out. He's like, I've been social distancing. He goes, I don't even have any symptoms. He took personal offense to it. But at the same time, I understand where people are coming with the stigma of it, you know, because right now it's no one's really going to just judge anyone. Oh my God, I can't believe you got COVID-19. It's just really, I think there's a stigma of people might question, did you not do what you were, yeah. you were supposed to be doing? Yeah. Type of thing. And I think that's where some of those patients yeah. are, are coming from. Are you really sheltering in place? Are you really social distancing? Right. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> did so, I see you somewhere? <laughs> yeah. It's like, so it's, it's conversation that, that needs to be had uh, at work. Um, but it's, again, just remind, reminding them that, you know, we're trying to keep them, them safe. But I, I, I think it's kind of, it's still consuming me. The more conversation I have with patients, it's, I, just, I just can't stop thinking about it. It's the first thing that I think of when I wake up. Emotional intelligence thing. or? Yeah, just em- empathy and yeah, the whole, just the whole product, the whole. How did you get started with this? So if you didn't learn it in the training that you received, what spurred that interest in them wanting to bring it to the nursing profession? 
I think what jump started again is some of the current projects that I'm doing at work. But I think I've always been somewhat interested in it, I would say, within the past couple of years. I've kind of thrown myself into my work. I've been somewhat of a workaholic. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I, I work a little bit too much sometimes. We don't see sometimes. you sometimes, a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, at times I was feeling a bit burnt out. Yeah. You know, I wasn't really refilling my cup. And I came across a book recently written by um, a, a physician. He was actually was a surgeon general by the name of Dr. Vivek Murthy. And he was talking about just loneliness and, and connectedness, connection, really. And I just realized, okay, I think that's why I'm getting burnt out by my work. I'm just, I feel like I'm going in and doing tasks and I'm losing the connection with why am I here doing this in the first place? And it's the connection with the patient. It's also the connection with my own resolve as to why I'm here. And it's given me a second wind in, at this point in my career. And it's somewhat addicting and I, and I just need it. I need to just follow this through. Yeah. That's my current nursing philosophy. It's navigating patients through. And one big example that I give with patients that I really want them to take away from all of this, especially the ones who are very knowledge hungry, is yes, you may have been given a diagnosis by the doctor, but your health, your healing journey is your responsibility. You have to take the lead on it. I said, you get in your car, your doctor gave you the diagnosis and he's telling you where to go. But you still have to get in the car and drive there yourself. Now you're here and I'm telling you, this is one procedure we have to do. These are the next steps. We're gonna take a ride to the Shell gas station. We're gonna go down Chicago Avenue for five miles. You're gonna hit a couple of road bumps. Yeah, you're gonna get some yeah. speed lights. <laughs> I'm gonna be here to, to guide you and I'm gonna be the navigator in your car. But at the end of the day, you still have to be aware of all of these things that are coming into your surroundings. You have to be vigilant and guide yourself through it. Only you know your body as well as you do. We will help you get there, but you still have to walk this journey yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that because it's a sense of empowerment, right? It is. Because sometimes when we can go into the doctor, I want you to fix it. I want you to tell me what's wrong with me. And you know exactly what's going on. I don't. Tell me what to do. You fix mm -hmm. me. Yes. As Americans, we <laughs> unfortunately we want to live a certain lifestyle and we just want a quick fix. Americans yeah. are like, go, 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 go. And we're a pill popping nation, you know, and sorry if some people don't want it's to hear awful. that, but it's the truth. No, it's the truth. And when it, it is awful. Yeah. When it comes to certain things, yeah, it, it needs to happen. Sticking onto the prescription medication. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that is so prevalent. Even I, I would say with Almost everything that I go to the doctor for, that's one of the main things. I'm, well, here's a pill. I'm like, um, I don't think this is healthy. I feel like our bodies know what to do, mm -hmm. at least, or if they don't, that they will figure it out. Right. Do you guys as nurses have an op option to not prescribe and to not recommend prescription? Why does it seem like that's always happening for every ailment? Yeah, ooh, you're touching on a very big issue. It's the whole, honestly, I think part of that stems from the medical industrial complex. There is a money-making portion of medicine, and I'm speaking just in medicine yeah. as a whole, especially here in the United States, unfortunately. Insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies, you know, a lot of people, especially nurses, we don't really like them. They kind of suppress us under their thumb a bit. Yeah. You know, it's, we're kind of at the whim of them. Unfortunately, nurses, it's not within our scope of practice to tell patients what to take and not to take. You know, yeah. that, that's within the realm of, realm of a physician. But we do monitor and assess the, the treatments that patients do go under for certain diseases. So if there's a certain medication treatment or options or interventions that aren't working, we collaborate and work with those physicians that do so. Yeah. When I have recurring patients, especially heart failure patients that come in, they're like, this medication isn't working. I was better off here and there. And again, that's where that comes into play. Yeah. I just... I say, this is where you as a leader come in. You yeah. say, you were better off on this medication. You need to voice your concerns. These are the side effects that you were feeling. What is the goal that you want? You need to work with your physician and whether it may be these side effects or symptoms that you're feeling are diminishing your quality of life, ask and communicate with your doctor that this isn't working. What can be done? Is yeah. there a middle ground? Is there another alternative? Because a lot of people just... Accept. Listen and accept to what the doctor tells them. Yeah. And 
you know, doc, you know, doctors are people. They're not mind readers, and they're only going to know what you tell them. Yeah. And in terms of how you're doing and how you're 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 partaking in this, you know, process of healing. So, I think that's where nurses are a very very trusted profession. Yeah. And I think that's part of where that comes from because we're always reminding them by just saying, "You need to ask the question. You may have more options here." Mm. And we kind of guide them through that. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Yeah. If I'm I'm constantly getting prescribed medication, then it makes me weary of any medication. Like I don't trust anything. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no such thing as a pill that does not have side effects. Yeah. And there are there are people who are taking two or three pills for something that very well may need it, but then they're taking another pill just to treat the side effects of those previous <laughs> two pills. Yeah. And so it kind of builds on top of each other, and unfortunately, it, it yeah. happens. But then there are also people who don't really take self responsibility with educating themselves as much as they can, reaching out, asking the right questions, and also making the lifestyle choices. Some people rely so much on those pills and they don't really want to make any changes with their lifestyle that may have led them there in the first place. Yeah. You know? Like um, exercising. Yes, especially with heart disease. You know, if you're not controlling your, your blood pressure, if you're eating constantly eating fast food and high sodium foods, your blood pressure is going to go haywire. If you're eating a lot of fattening foods, a lot of heavy meats your cholesterol is going to go up. And if you are diabetic, you're not regulating those things. Those are factors that are, are going to increase your risks of having heart attacks. And if you're not changing any of them, your risks are still there. And as you, as we go through life, we become more frail, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and your risks just grow and people just become complacent. That's another thing that I've seen with chronic diseases. I kind of see people fall into two buckets. Some become very, debilitated and victimized by their uh, illness or there are those who kind of see it as a wake-up call Mm -hmm. and they become empowered by it and they shift everything i've had one of my favorite community volunteer work that i've done is working with smoking sensation and uh, early heart attack prevention teachings to the public especially here in aurora also heart attack surviving seminars one of my most favorite stories is I went to um, Blackberry Farm. My old job, there was heart attack survivors that were there. And one guy just ran up to me. He just remembered my face. And he's just like, Orlando, look at me. He's like, do you remember me? He's like, I had a heart attack you know, X amount of time ago. He's like, I've lost 20 pounds. He's just like, I'm vegan just like you. And he's like, I go running. And he goes, I remember when, I was, when, when you helped to take care of me. And you recommended this. And I was talking to Dr. So-and-so about all of these things. And... And here I am. He's like, I go running all the time and I feel great. He's like, my heart is doing great. And he was just so empowered. You inspired him and empowered him yeah. and saved his life. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I was just like, oh my God, Not awesome. many Thank people can you. say that, Lando. Yeah. I know. I, was, I tried to turn around. I was like, okay, don't talk to me. Don't, don't, don't make me cry. Don't make me cry. That was my goal of going into nursing. I'm going to help shape so many lives. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to do all these things. But every once in a while, patients really impact me. There were families where I'm just like, you know, they're like, oh my God, you've taken care of my grandmother. She's loved and adored you throughout this whole process. Can we take pictures of you? And can we get your number? Can can we still reach out to you and have if we have any other questions? So I've really been impacted just as much by other people as I have made that same impact on them, especially through their medical journey. All that does is really just build the vigor. Like, okay, yeah. I can continue to do it this feels, for another 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... Dang, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes I'm so exhausted and tired. Sometimes a workload can be overbearing. But I can keep doing this. Yeah. That's why I do this. This is why. Yeah, that's why I do it. What are you going to do after this? Is this what you want to continue to do? Another part of my nursing career has been working with my fellow nurses in my departments on process improvements. So it's tweaking and fine-tuning the little things that we do in our daily clinical routines that have better outcomes for patients. Because whenever there's research and data that comes out, depending on how complex it is and, and what it is, it can be a couple of years before that newfound data reaches the nursing bedside. One of my former jobs, I did a lot of work with quality work in nursing, and I kind of just dove myself into that, and I loved it. And it made me realize that not only could I make an impact on my patient-to-patient, person-to-person interaction, I can fine tune everything that me and my entire department do that can have an even greater effect on everyone. And that has slowly built to other projects. And so my ultimate goal now is to go into the realms of education and probably leadership. Mm-hmm. My biggest goal would be to continue on this journey and really find the areas, the gaps 
that need to be filled and areas that can be improved and fine-tune it. I think my overall goal will be to help evolve Optimize. nursing culture and practice. Yeah, That's my goal. As a leader, whether it be with management or administration work or as an educator, I think I'd be able to do that on a larger scale within my own profession. So I like to think that that's where I'm slowly heading. Yeah. What about personally? What about outside of work? How does Lando refill his cup there? <laughs> this has been a very interesting chapter for me in my life, both with work and personal life. Well, we grew up here in the West Burbs. And even in nursing school, I always knew I wanted to work at one of the bigger hospitals in Chicago. And I was going to be very picky with where I was going to work. Like, I'm not going to work in this area. I'm not Lando working at that hospital. Lando has standards, okay? <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm only going to work at some Whereas me, I was like, I'll place. work anywhere. I'll just take, take me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to work at a hospital that has, like, caca resources, you know? Like, I need to be pampered. I need That's the boricua I knew. You said yeah, caca. I know, right? Another word for shit, people. You know, I didn't want to work at a shitty place. Yo soy boricua. That was one thing my father taught me to say at a very but, early okay, age. I remember him. I'm like, wait, boricua, yeah. My father taught me that at a very young age. Things like, Puerto Rican men me. teach their sons. I know. He's like, yo soy boricua. He's like, now take the flag and run down the street. And I'm like, oh, God. I really had my eyes set on certain places where I wanted to work. So I worked very diligently, built my resume, got my specialty certifications, and it's led me to where I've wanted to be today. And I'm now currently been in Chicago for about going just under two years now, and I love and adore it. But there was also personal factors as to why I wanted to move to Chicago as well. I am not married. I don't have children. My baby is my career. And I wanted to be surrounded by other individuals in the 30s who were on the similar path to me. And as I've done that, you know, I feel like the timing of everything, especially when I moved to Chicago, I unfortunately had another death in my family. I lost my younger sister. At the age of 18, I lost her very abruptly. This was, this was recently? This was, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Three years ago, two years, uh, year and a half going on two now. Uh, this coming fall will be uh, two years, unfortunately. And at the time when that happened, there was a lot of moving parts. I was moving and I was uh, acclimating to my new job in, in the city, and I was in the middle of grieving as well. And something in me shifted very potently, and. It was also a time where I was feeling a lot of burnout. I was emotionally raw, broken down. I was in a lot of pain. And so I was trying to struggle to find a way to refill my, my cup at work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where my current endeavors are pushing me now. But then also my social circle shifted and changed drastically. And as I look back, I think it's all been for the better. My current social circle, they've become... They're my little clan. They're my little brotherhood. Your you community. Know? Yes, they're part of my community. So I live in Lakeview, Chicago, which, as some people may or may not know, has an area that's also known as Boys Town. I am a single gay man. So that was kind of a, a little, you know, check off my little bucket list as to, like, all right, I'm going to move to Chicago. I'm, I'm doing this. There. You know, I'm, I was like, I'm going to be with my people. I'm going to be up in, the, you know, the neighborhood. You know? <laughs> the neighborhood. Yeah, I wanted to be in the neighborhood and be with my people, you know. And my social life has evolved and grown there. And... My only regret is not doing it sooner. You really? Know? Yeah. Was it? Did you think you didn't do it sooner because of your family? Because yeah. of gr growing up, like in Puerto Rican culture, right? You don't just come out, right? Yeah. It was well. Actually, I came out at a very early age. I yeah. think you did, of, but yeah. a lot of people don't. And yes. what gave what gave you that confidence to be able to do that at such a young age? You were brave. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't anyone. It wasn't my father. Or anyone on my no, father's was side. Was that family. your dad who gave no. you that confidence? To <laughs> My father didn't take it very well, unfortunately, but, you know, machismo, Latin, you know, dude, naturally how it was. Um, however, I was very fortunate enough that on my mother's side, I have a, an older cousin who already came out, and he paved that way for me. He was a beautiful role model and example for me. He showed me that, you know, yeah, when you do, there's going to be a lot of ignorant, homophobic, bigoted people in the world. There are going to be people who look you in the eye and tell you, I hate you. You disgust me. You are nothing. And I've had people tell me that. Yeah. You're a faggot. You're going to hell. You are an abomination. I've, ha I've, I've had that. Yeah. It happened to me numerous occasions, unfortunately. But then he also showed me his own clan, his own brotherhood. He showed me that he is still living his life, living his truth, being his authentic self. 
And as he naturally was doing that, he, he found his beautiful, loving husband. They've been together since I came out, I think. And he has his family. He has his life. There are people who naturally love and adore him. And I have my friends and family who love and adore and accept me for me as well. Yeah. And he paved that example. So I think I was very courageous because I always knew, you know. Yeah. Even in high school, unfortunately, in retrospect, I would go to the mall with my friends and... They would all just nonstop be talking about the Victoria's Secret model as you're walking by. And they're just like, dang, look at that lingerie. Look at her. She's so hot. This and that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. She, she's pretty. Yeah. Like, yeah. Th- th- that's all you're going to say? I'm like, yeah, she is a pretty woman. I truly felt that she was a pretty woman. Well, but I it know stopped the story, there. I'm like, dang, now that, that's a hot model. It's, <laughs> this is a real, it's a, it's a male model. I'm like, even then I knew, okay, there's something different here. Did you knew us as a kid? Because I felt like yeah. we knew when you were kids. Like, no one said it, but I feel well, like duh. we all knew. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I had too much sass for a little boy. <laughs> too much sass. Yeah. Uh, in retrospect, I think I always knew. Yeah. I think I always, always knew. Yeah. Even just watching the Power Rangers, you know, I'm just like, yeah, I want to be the right ranger. Oh, he's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> the thoughts. That, w- that was going on in, in my mind. I didn't know. I didn't identify it as, yeah. okay, that means I am a gay man. But, you know, again, in retrospect, I think I always knew. So I had that example. I felt safe yeah. coming out. I knew that my family had accepted him, and I just was bold enough. I think the scarier part for me was even coming out to my friends because I didn't know how some of them were going to react, especially yeah. when you're a teenager you're really kind of learning social ties and friendship and I didn't want to sever any of them. And fortunately I had really great experience and acceptance from all my friends. So I think it's kind of come a little bit more into the back background of who I am. Yeah. I am a gay man, but it's not all of who it's I am. It's not all of and who that's, you are. Yeah, and that's, it doesn't define you. Correct. Yeah. But it is still a very important and pivotal part. Yeah. You know, I like when you said that it doesn't define you. It's not all of who I am. Correct. Cause it's true. Yeah. There's so much more to you. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I love that you found a community in right. which you feel safe, you feel supported, right. and you feel like you have the opportunity to refuel and yes. to have fun yeah. and to live your life yeah. single. You guys, right. he is single. Okay. <laughs> so I wasn't so told know. this was a dating site. <laughs> <laughs> Holla. Come to me if you are interested. <laughs> um, but I think honestly, I now I love my 30s because in your 30s, you know who you are, you know, you know, like. And who is Lando outside, outside of profession, oh, work man, and I nurse? S- I set you up for that question. <laughs> you sure did. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me right now, I'm like, oh, no, who I am right now in this moment. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you who you are. You're a bougie tequila connoisseur. <laughs> I, I do love my tequila. <laughs> and he's bougie with I his tequila. Because he's picky. You Don't be giving me Jose Cuervo. That's just nasty. <laughs> But um, I look back and I'm like, okay, I was such a, you know, an arrogant. I always tell myself, why did you carry that AAA battery when you were so young? And I told that to one of my friends. She's like, what do you mean by AAA battery? And uh, and I was like, you you kind of had it too. And she's just like, what do you mean? I was like, we were just arrogant adolescent attitude little children. You know, <laughs> I was like, if I could just get rid of that sooner, I probably would be a lot more farther than where I was at. But in your 20s, you go through certain life experiences. You fall in and out of love. You cultivate good friendships, bad friendships. You deal with portrayal. I've dealt with loss and grief. And those kind of experiences, you come to a point where you make a choice with how that's going to impact you. And I like to take pride in myself that I've never victimized myself from any of them. When I came out, I had my hardships. I persevered through them. I did not let it victimize me. I still am grieving and still going through grieving counseling with not only my father and my sister and my grandmother who was battling cancer and who was like another mother to me. Throughout my entire 20s, I was kind of dealing with a lot of that. And I pushed forward and persevered through that. And so now that I'm here in my 30s, in this current chapter, I know what I can tolerate. I know what I can handle. I know how thick my armor is. Mm -hmm. But I also am still not angered or hurt or bitter from it. I know when to let down my guard and when not to have that armor. And I'm learning now, going back to emotional intelligence, Brene Brown is like 
She's like oh my, my hero. She's like my hero. I have her book right here. I know. Yeah, I'm crazy. like, learn. She's, I'm like, all right, what would Brene Brown what want would me to Br- do right now? I'm going to be, all right, be vulnerable. Don't be bitchy. Don't be sassy. Don't be that, you know, that stereotypical gay man who's going to snap his head and like, just let me tell you what, which I do have sometimes. Let me tell you. <laughs> Only if someone deserves it. But, you know, that's currently where I'm at now. I'm appreciate where I'm at now, the opportunities that I'm at. And I love the fact that I've had to fight for it. I'm relishing in it, and I'm excited for where my opportunities are going forward. And I'm open to things, and I cherish time with friends, with family, so much more. That's another thing. When you're a kid, you think... They'll always be there. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, yeah. I'll go visit my mom tomorrow. Right. Yeah. But those moments are ever fleeting. And I think not only through work, through my personal experiences, I cherish time and value that, including with uh, my grandmother on my father's side. Grandma Janie. Yes. She's at a point where those moments, yeah. even, even if it's just, you know, a good 10 minutes, it's worth it. Yeah. It's, I cherish it and I'm trying to stretch it for as much as I can. Explain her situation to the audience because I don't think we talked So her, her and I were not keeping in contact for quite a while since my father's passing, unfortunately, but her and I have reconnected. Uh, through the help of your phenomenal mother. Because yeah. so, G- Grandma Jeannie is also our grandma because when his dad and my mom were married, we built a relationship. We were older than Lando, so we, we had our own separate relationship with her. She was just fantastic, lively, yeah. and full of energy, and yeah. typical Puerto Rican grandmother can yes. cook habichuela yeah. and fricasse and arroz yeah. gandules. I fell in love with her food first. Yeah. <laughs> and she was the she one who made me clean my closet yeah. and taught me how to do my clothes, along with my other grandmother too, but Grandma Jeannie was amazing. But when they divorced, we didn't keep in contact. Correct. And it wasn't until, I would say, what this past year mm-hmm. that her and my mom got back into contact mm-hmm. because she has, I think, Parkinson's? She has Parkinson's, correct. Okay. Yeah. So she lives with my mom now, but she's also battling her disease. Yes, absolutely. So it is a debilitating neurological disease, and there is no cure for it. And unfortunately, with where we are at Medicine Today with it, it's just medications that can treat the symptoms and slow the progression of the disease process. Yeah. But it's never going to to treat it. And, And unfortunately, the truth of the fact of it is, and I think that's part of the gift and the curse, of my being a nurse. Yeah. You can pick any disease, especially those nasty diseases. And I've more or less seen it in so many patients. I know what it looks like in every single stage. So unfortunately with my grandmother, I have too much prescience. I know what's going to happen. I know what it's going to look like. Does that help you when you're dealing with people that you love that are close to you? Because for me, when I see her and I don't have that experience in that, Mm -hmm. to me it's like, oh my God. Oh my God, what are we doing? Like, because I'm not prepared. Right. Does that help you in a way to to be able to like, okay, this is normal. Right. And this is what we're going to do next. I learned it in a very bitter way with my other grandmother on my mother's side, my grandmother, Carmen, who had a very, very destructive, very aggressive type of sarcoma. I knew exactly how to navigate through it. I knew what we had to do. I knew how the chemo and the radiation and everything was going to work. I was the lead drummer with my whole family. Like, this is what we got to do. When I say jump, you ask how high, and we got to do yeah. all, all these X, Y, and Zs. We're going to fight this thing. And unfortunately, when her life ended, all the knowledge, all the, the nursing skill set in the world does not prepare you for the loss of your own loved one, unfortunately. It's the connection of, of love. Yeah, my, my profession deals with death on a daily basis, and I have to still always learn to kind of balance that out. Does it remind you that you're human? Does it it remind you, like, your heart's still there? And not that it ever left. Mm -hmm. It does, yeah. There's a fine balance, because sometimes you want to make sure you don't become desensitized to it. These past two years, I've had the awesome 
experience of precepting another nurse. Uh, and I love and adore her. She's like my little baby pumpkin at work. Her name's <laughs> Olivia. And she has never worked in our specialty, in our interventional cardiology. And I told my manager, I was like, I think she'd be a great fit. Can you please hire her? And, and, and we did. And I taught her everything I know. And, mm. you know, she learned from our entire department. But she, she was so thirsty for knowledge. Every day she would come in. So what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And I was just trying to fill that sponge as much as I could. And she's now thriving. And she's a rock star at it. And the reason why I'm bringing her up is because even though I've taught her so much, she is reminding me how to, in her drive and her thirst for this, she's reminding me to not become too desensitized, not become too detached from it. I've seen her build a very deep emotional connection with certain patients, and when we have bad outcomes, she, let, she allows it to show. She has more vulnerability with it than me in her own profession. And I find it so beautiful. And that's something that she has taught me that I don't even think she's aware of. Yeah. But again, that's another beautiful balance of it all. But even then, whether it be with work or with personal relatives, it's a gift and a curse. You know what's to come, but even though it's with a loved one, the anticipatory grief, it's still just as painful. Yeah. It's still just as painful. I find myself, unfortunately not trying to let myself get to those dark thoughts with my grandmother Jeannie, but yeah, it's still there. It's, it's a bit of a struggle. Yeah. And she's in good hands and she's, she's you in know, phenomenal hands. She's doing, she's yes. doing great. Yeah. As great as she can be. Right. Yes. yes. With your mom, with her stepdad, she's yeah. yes, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, gives me peace of mind. Yeah. And like who, who, how many people would be like my stepdad, Jason, right? Like, oh God, like, come he's, on he's in. He's a rarity. Yeah. He's so rare. Especially for doctors. He's wickedly intelligent. Trust me, I, I know I've met good and bad doctors. He's a phenomenal diagnostician, but he is just so beautifully humble. Yeah. And he loves what he does as well. Yeah. But he just is beautifully humble. Yeah. And yeah. does he call you his son too? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll have conversation. And I think you see them more than me. Yeah, don't take it personal. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's funny because Dahlia, your mom did mention she's just like she's just like yeah. Sometimes Jason and Lando just start saying all this medical mumble jumble, and then they just go off on their own conversations. And yeah, I think that my being a nurse was kind of what helped form that little commonality between Jason and I. That's okay. awesome. We're both, in, we're both working in medicine. Is yeah. those are the types of things that inspire me, like those beautiful moments and those beautiful people, like Jason who is just so accepting and so humble and kind, Yeah, you know, and then seeing you so passionate in your field and really care about the work that you do. And all you want genuinely is mm-hmm. to make the profession better, yes. is to just do your job better and yes. find a way to help people be healthier. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Lando, this was great. I thank you for coming on. And if you guys are interested, because he is single, (laughs) holler, because he's a great coach. All right. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.